When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nada Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, a great one, Jeff Van Gundy, the uh, the longtime ESPN NBA analyst. He, along with Mark Jackson and Mike Green, will call the NBA Finals on ABC. Game one of the NBA Finals is Thursday, June 1st at 8.30 p.m. There are going to be some earlier start times for this NBA Finals, which, uh, which I think is great news and very, very interesting. Uh, Jeff and I go through a, a, just a ton of topics here, uh, including the early start times. Um, we get into uh, the Nuggets a little bit and just sort of uh, how national media looks at them, get into Jeff's sort of broadcasting philosophy and just the fact uh, that I think even he's surprised at how long he's um, he's done this. And uh, finish up on um, talking a little bit about the WNBA and the growth of that game. Uh, Jeff also gives you uh, uh, his analysis of, uh, of Victor Webb-Benyana and, uh, and what kind of impact he may be. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Jeff Van Gundy is always a great guest. We go about 45 minutes or so. And uh, without further ado, Jeff Van Gundy coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, very pleased to be joined by this guest. He's been on this podcast before. Jeff Van Gundy joined ESPN in 2007 as an NBA analyst. I'll ask him about that. It's crazy to think that's when he joined. Um, he serves as an analyst for the NBA Finals on ABC, Conference Finals. You just saw him. Obviously, regular season games, NBA postseason. Game one of the NBA Finals will be the Denver Nuggets verse, as we are taping this, either the Heat or the Celtics on Thursday, June 1st at 8.30 p.m., on ABC. Pleased to be joined by Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Good to be here. Thank you. Jeff, here we go. We'll start here. Earlier start times for the uh, NBA Finals. I mean, I know you're very detail-oriented. You're someone who likes to get to airports, whatever, seven hours early. Are you going to be okay with the early start time now for the NBA Finals? You know, it's it's interesting because they always go back and forth on this 9 p.m. Eastern, 8.30, trying to find the right, you know, exact time for the audience. And it's always going to be hard because particularly for the weekday games, um, the West Coast audience is going to be impacted. Maybe they're not there for the start of the game. They're not back from, you know, from work yet. But you don't want to lose out on the East Coast uh, audience who 
you know, goes to bed before the the final game. So I think 8.30 is a really good time. I'd love to see him move up the Sunday games uh, so that, you know, it's a more reasonable. I don't know if they've done that, if it's at 8. I think they once did it at 8 Eastern, but I'm not sure if that's what they're doing this year. So uh, they're always trying to find the way to maximize the viewership. And I think 8.30 is a reasonable, logical time. Yeah, no, I haven't agree with you. The the you know, I I, I will say it, I think it's tough to be a television programmer because the there are more people who live east of the Mississippi, so you have that's a real thing, and like you have to factor that in. But you don't know who the teams are going to be in the NBA Finals, and you do want to you want to cater to the local fans as well. You don't want to make it impossible. And then lastly, as you just mentioned earlier, like you do want to bring you know the the NBA. The NBA's demos as a television product are really good. They're younger than most of the other sports. So you want at least to give the opportunity to younger people to see the end of the game, which makes a 9 o'clock, 9.05, 9.20 tip-off time tough. So there's not really a perfect time, but I think I'm going to be curious to see both the viewership number and more than that, maybe just like the sentiment if people are more excited about a game ending at a little bit earlier time the way we've seen i don't know if you're a baseball fan jeff but baseball fans have been it's almost like a a revelation for them to have all these earlier games now because of the rule changes oh i am fired up from from a baseball perspective and i love the innovation to speed the game up all the hand wringing that went into it about it's going to mess with people's routines I think sometimes you forget that this is a business with consumers and it should be structured around what's best for the consumer. And baseball certainly hit a home run in their rule changes uh, and game times. And I think we should be continually striving uh, from the NBA perspective, how we can get it down to two hours. I know there's things that we can do to keep our game moving instead of going into two hours and 20 minutes, two hours and five minutes. I think it gets to be a, a little long. What would you, I want to follow up on that. What, 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 what are some of the things you think that can reduce the game time? So my most radical one is eliminate free throws into the last four minutes. So if you get fouled um, on a shooting foul, you just get the points. Um, you don't go to the line. You don't go to the line for technical free throws. Um, they're just points. Um, and then I would eliminate halftime. I, I think halftime is the biggest waste of time, or I'd reduce it to five minutes, go in and go to the bathroom, come back out. This whole idea of what goes on at halftime, I think is, is so misunderstood. It's, it's a lot of like, you know, either praising what just happened or, correcting, but you could do that in two minutes out by the bench uh, in elongated timeout. So free throws would be my first one. Um, like I said, until the last four minutes, I don't think you want to take away the sure free throws throughout, you know, in the last four minutes of a game, but let's speed it up. The only person that likes free throws is the play-by-play announcer because they can wax poetically some story and also, Mike Green has a abnormal uh, free throw. Like he loves talking free throw shooting. But th- those are the only people. It's it's the extra point of uh, the NBA. It serves no 
rational, reasonable purpose. You may you may have lost James Harden a lot of money and some other people who've been at the free throw line. Let me ask you one thing about what you just said because it's actually uh, pretty fascinating. You know, obviously you were uh, an accomplished coach, so you would know what goes on at halftime. The the players don't need like th- what about the rest element? Is there value for the players to have fifteen minutes of rest versus five? Yeah, that's a good question. I I I would be. I don't know. I'm not a physiologist, but I, that'd be an interesting one. I, I know this, having to rewarm up, and it's a, a pet peeve of mine now. They, it used to be that, you know, you watch teams before games and how they warm up. And they warm up and they get into a sweat. And then you watch teams at halftime straggle out. Some don't come out and even do anything. And so they – and then you watch, you know, the European teams uh, when you're in an uh, Olympic competition – and they're sprinting at halftime. And how they go about halftime makes more sense that they're actually getting rewarmed up and so that they can start the second half uh, warm, ready to go. Whereas American NBA teams, I I think halftime does them a disservice. It may help in a rest, but they don't rewarm up. And we have these um, sports performance coaches and I'm actually shocked that they haven't made it a priority to have the two, the pregame and the halftime warm up, be more similar. Hmm, interesting. Um, I want to get to a couple broadcasting things. Um, next year will be your 17th season calling NBA basketball for ESPN. That that must seem like just an insane number to you. That that's your You've now been a broadcaster nearly 20 years. No, it, it, it catches up to you really quick. You know, what started out as a sort of like a way station uh, because of some family things and kids and all that uh, between coaching stops now has turned into this like secondary profession. And, uh, you know, just really – Sometimes you have to just eternally grateful for opportunity. And uh, Mike and Mark uh, took me in uh, that long ago and had the same boss and Tim Corrigan the whole time. And so, you know, you're, you're surrounded by friends and you're, you get to do the games with, you know, great, obviously they're great at their jobs, but for me, that didn't really matter as much as I just, I needed a job and I needed it to be where I had flexibility and to, you know, like you said, 17 years later, say you're still doing it. And, and also you just know that, Hey, it's hard in, in this uh, profession uh, to keep a job and change is, is happens all the time, every sport. And so you, you can't be, you know, you have to be grateful for what you have at that moment because it can change at any, at any time. And at some point it will change for me. Um, and so uh, I'm just, like I said, Richard, just incredibly grateful for um, this opportunity. Um, two years ago, um, you signed a multi-year contract agreement. ESPN put that out. Usually these deals are three years or five years. You're welcome to say it. You don't have to obviously what the, the contract length is. But I wonder, um, 
So how do you look at it now, just in terms of like um, approach? Like, do you are you? I'm not trying to retire you, Jeff, but like, are you contract by contract? Like, if you were 30 years old, I think you'd obviously look at it differently in terms of I want to be in broadcasting in the next 30 years. Um, so how do you approach? How do you approach broadcasting right now, given that um, you're obviously have arguably the top job for what you do? Um, you're at a network that has the NBA Finals, although I do want to get into what the media rights will ultimately be sort of heading forward. Um, and then maybe you just have your own designs on just how long you want to do this. So how do you approach all this stuff now, just like contractually? Yeah, so um, I, I'd have to check. I think I have a couple years left. So it's either one or two. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think it's tied. When is the rights deal up? Because I think it's tied. 2024 would be the end of the um, the end of the current ESPN uh, Turner. So I think that's when my contract is up. But you also know that uh, other people with contracts have been. You know, it it can still change. All you know before then. But I I like it. Um, I really like who I work with. I think that's like for me when you're trying to tackle a second profession. That's as important as the what. It's the who you're doing it with. And the, uh, management's changed. Above Tim Corrigan, it's changed a lot. But he's never, you know, he's never changed. He's been there the whole time. I think that's given me great uh, stability. And I've also gotten great feedback from him uh, and from Mike uh, Breen, like teaching me the business. So I, I've been fortunate in that way. I remember what, way back, Mike, uh, I did a year at TNT with Marv Albert and Mike Fratello between uh, the Knicks job and the Rockets job. And he told me uh, two things that were vitally important. One, don't say great when it's just good. Uh, make sure you're in, you know, intentional about your language. And the second thing is find somebody that will tell you the truth in broadcasting because most people in broadcasting it's great job great job great job you're fired they never tell you the truth and as a coach you're used to giving honest feedback and correction so when you go into a new profession which i did in broadcasting you don't really know how it works but both tim and mike have given me you know honest feedback you know tim just last week uh was unhappy with uh something i my tone of voice, he said it was far too sarcastic. And, you know, but that real feedback uh, is, is truly helpful. And I think it allows you to try to keep uh, getting as good as you can be. So the, so it's just for the audience knows the specifics. The NBA's deals with ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery, which is Turner, are at the uh, come up at the end of the 24-25 NBA season. The incumbents traditionally... Um, have a window where they can negotiate with the NBA before the package would go up um, to potential other bidders. Jeff, in your position as a broadcaster, um, do you ever like want to discuss like that with Tim Corgan or Jimmy Pataro, or do you intentionally sort of like separate like that's the business, let those guys deal with it, I'm only focused on the games? And the reason I ask you that is, because the reality is, like, what that what happens with that decision absolutely impacts you and Mark and Mike. So it does impact your livelihood. At the same time, you're not going to be in the boardroom with Adam Silver 
negotiating this deal, right? So how do you how do you look at? Yeah, it? I think you just nailed it. I'm not really that clued in, as you could just hear earlier. I don't even know when the rights up. So I thought it was two years. I'd heard that. So um, it is. It is sort of in terms of the start of yeah. the season. You know, like the technically, yeah, yeah, right. So it absolutely impacts, and and yet you have nothing. You have no control over it. So uh, I think I think ESPN will stay in, uh, you know, and Turner will too. But will there be additional people? I think that's what most people think, that there may be additional uh, broadcasting. I hate saying partners because partners, I hate that term partners. Because what partner in your life do you pay all the money to? Like, that's not a partnership. That's like, you know, but anyway... Uh, the broadcast partners and you know frankly if it ended tomorrow if, if if they came in to me and told me hey we're either we're not doing uh pro basketball anymore or we're not doing we are doing pro basketball with not with but without you i i gotta say like you said when you said 17 years it i i think this is i came in in the like playoffs of one year i got fired from the rockets and i came in like the same day doing a a nba game in san antonio so it's just been like incredible to provide this level of stability and you know you what you you have all this like espn roster um people getting let go uh i tell you it's like I'm fine. I just really feel like the trauma for people who having to deal with upheaval, particularly as they get older in life. I mean, I really, really feel for them. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. Now you've, you've, I mean, you know, I appreciate that perspective because you, you've had a lottery ticket broadcasting career. Like it's the only word I would look at it. Like the, these jobs are very few and far between and you've had one, not only have you had one, you've had one for a long time. So in that sense, I feel like, you know, the, the, the way to think about it is it's just gravy and as long, you know, ride the gravy as long as you can, but that's sort of where it comes down to. Um, I want to, um, oh, actually, before we get to some, like I ask you about the nuggets. So in the um, in the Steve Russian Sports Illustrated piece, which was really really great on you and your brother Stan, um, there's a part in there like where I think maybe I don't know if Stan's making fun of you or Russian sort of is, but he, they're talking about how you love to see celeb, how excited you are to see celebrities at games, and so like you got excited when you saw Rihanna, Jennifer Garner. So I wanted to ask you who is the most famous person to come up to you at an NBA game and just start talking about basketball. Well, I'm, I'm, I love comedy, right? So I saw Bill Burr at a game, but I didn't get a chance to – I was going to run up in the stands at a timeout. He was up at a Laker game. I wanted to run up and say hello because I just find him hysterical. But Dave Chappelle stopped me uh, after game three in L.A. And I got to say, he wanted to talk basketball, and that was like – I could barely understand what he was saying because I was so flabbergasted that I was standing in front of him. And Denzel Washington, uh, uh, all these people know Mark. But, uh, like, I don't know him, but everybody knows Mark. So they'll say hello to me. 
But like Denzel Washington, like when you talk level of greatness in a profession, you don't get better than that. So pretty uh, fun, too. I love that. Uh, and that's what happens when you're doing games in L.A. Things like that happen. All right, the Nuggets. I want to ask you about the Nuggets, Jeff, because right now that's the one team obviously we know is in the NBA Finals. They're a fascinating team. And I think Michael Malone is absolutely correct when he says that, like, other teams get more interest in us. Everybody's focused on other teams. We're not focused on the Nuggets. The reality is, at least from my perspective, like, there is a there's sort of a financial aspect here, like producers and opinion show people and maybe places like The Athletic. Like, they're going to write about the Lakers and the Celtics and the Knicks because there's there's a you can monetize that stuff. There's just a lot of fans of those teams. They're in big, big, big cities. Um, that said, like I get where Michael, Mal- I, you know, I like the us against the world thing in a, in a way because I think it probably works for um, the team. My perspective, Jeff, and I wanted to get yours is no matter what happens, whether the Nuggets win or lose the NBA Finals, because they're in the NBA Finals, I think you will think of them differently as a franchise just after the fact. Because if they win, then they're a championship-winning franchise. If they don't win, well, they've now been in the NBA Finals, and they've had all this exposure for as many games as they end up playing. Um, how do you see it? Because this, the, the Nuggets as an entity have become sort of part of the story this week. Well, I think you're right in that it certainly is going to elevate their uh, business, and the, the consumer is going to know more about them. You know, Jokic, everybody who studies NBA basketball – understands how great he is murray as well but there are a lot of casual fans and they're, they're not going to tune tune in they don't have the nba package they're not tuning in you know on a daily basis to see you know denver play and i think when you get exposed in the playoffs and you get you know conference finals and then the finals where it's the largest audience and it's also only two teams are left. It's it's going to be a revelation for so many people. A how good Denver is. B how spectacular Jokic is. Uh, and C they they have one of those teams right now that could be together and go on a good you know three five year run uh, with continuity. So this is a special time for. Nuggets basketball. And I listen, every coach uses every tool at their disposal to try to maximize their team's abilities, motivations. And so, you know, I worked with uh, Michael Malone when I was at the Knicks and, and his dad for forever and Brendan Malone. And so I am so happy for them. But the, like you said, the athletic or whoever it may be, ESPN, whoever covers the games are going to go where the interest is. The the writers don't drive interest. The writers write to where the interest is. So they're going to be a Lakers-centric, LeBron James, Steph Curry-centric coverage. That's just how it is. Yep. The, you, I think you'd have good insight into this. Like, human scouting is always fascinating to me. And so while... Like, I could sort of understand, even if it's sort of today, like, crazy, how someone like Giannis doesn't go number one, but let's say he goes, like, in the 20s. Like, all right, so he still is a first-rounder. You you missed him as number one, but he went there. 
Can you how, can you explain how how someone like Jokic goes in the second round of the NBA draft? Like, it's one thing to miss like in the lottery. It's another thing to like not draft a guy who's a multiple time MVP in the first round of his year. In terms of like scouting, that will end up being one of the most insane sort of scouting. I don't know if it's fair to say scouting misses, but do you know what I'm saying, Jeff? Like, in if you went around in professional sports and looked at MVPs. <laughs> the list of MVPs on in, who are drafted in the second round in, in multiple sports is going to be infinitesimal. And this guy is... Yeah. And, you know, you have Ginobili uh, drafted 50, 55, 58, something like that. And I think it goes to maybe our overseas scouting isn't nearly as extensive as it maybe should be. I also think you never can get into the mindset of a, of a player. Like... When they become a pro, who's going to become, uh, and they're getting paid to do this as a job, who's going to become more motivated and who's going to become, you know, less motivated? Uh, and I think, again, Jokic, has to- he always had great hands, great skill. Uh, I think everybody was worried about his level of conditioning, uh, how his uh, – how his pick and roll defense would be as far as his ability to move. And I think what all that came back to was this guy is in, has improved so dramatically from his first year to now, he has just gotten better and better. And it hasn't been his basic skills. Like his head always had great hands, great field, could really pass, you know, he could score, but his defense has improved exponentially, particularly his pick and roll defense. His conditioning, he has gotten himself into top flight condition where maybe before he wasn't. And so you're right. You don't get second round MVPs. And this was a complete miss. And what's funny is Tim Conley, who's now running Minnesota's basketball operation, he's the one that drafted him. And people, when they try to praise him for that pick, he said, are you kidding? I waited to the you know 41st pick or whatever it was. I, if I was such a genius, I would have picked him in the first round. And and that's really true. And so, as you said, like you're trying to make these evaluations and you see it through, particularly in the lottery, you know, every year you see unbelievable hits and then complete busts. And, you know, people always try to say, well, that guy doesn't know how to evaluate or it's just man, it's crazy trying to, you know, picture 10 years down the road what a man's level of uh, motivation will be. Will he still love the game or love the game even more? Or will the game grind him down to where it's only a job? Yeah, that's a great point. And Human Sky is tough. I live in Toronto, so we have two of these patron saint guys and Fred Van Vliet, who was not drafted. And Pascal Siakam, who went very, very low in the first round, and they obviously both became all stars. Uh, in Pascal's case, like, you know, like a third-team All NBA guy, and that's just—I'm so fascinated by that. Just like why certain people make it, and then why others who are drafted super high uh, might not. All right, a couple more things here before I go. You had the 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 fortune, and I imagine like pleasure of of coaching a couple of like um, transcendent centers. And Patrick Ewing was under you for a little bit, and obviously Yao Ming in Houston. Have you seen um, Victor uh, Webinyana play, or whether either in person or on film? But I have to say, Jeff, just as someone who's a basketball fan, like 
you know, I know the word like unicorn gets thrown around a lot, but like, I think it's legit with this guy. Like he, he plays in a game that is very revelatory to me just as a fan who watches. How do you see? So it? last year we were doing a preseason game in Las Vegas in October. And that same day, Wimbayana's Metropolitan 92s were playing the G League Ignite in a game. It was in some arena right outside of Vegas. I forget where, but so I went to see him live and, you know, incredibly impressive uh, skills, work, uh, work capacity in the game just seemed like, you know, terrific. And, and yet I'm always concerned. You know, I think somebody on one of these shows uh, said, if Wimbayana just becomes Kevin Durant or, you know, that ilk, like one of the all-time greats, it'll be a disappointment. Well, that's an insane comment. Right? Yeah, it's just it's just crazy that I just hope that we can be somewhat realistic early on uh, with his progress and allow him, like LeBron James, who came in maybe as hyped, I don't know, um, you know, he wasn't in the playoffs his first year. He had a very good rookie year, but it wasn't like, you know, he immediately turned around a bad Cleveland team and made him a great team. That took a process of a couple of years. This hope we afford Wimbayana that same uh, amount of time to transition to uh, a new country, a new team, and uh, the best basketball player. And I am with all these guys of extraordinary size. I, I coached Yao Ming and his career was marred by uh, injury being so big um, that I do worry about how his body withstands the grind of 82 games uh, being seven foot five. Uh, but skill wise, uh, intensity wise, like he does seem to be incredibly unique and i just hope we all just give him uh, the necessary time to acclimate to the nba and we don't over evaluate each and every game where it may you know all these young people take such so much of their social or their their cues on how they're doing through social media i just hope we're just a little bit kinder to him and we are to some people on, on social media. So he can just grow at a natural, normal rate as an NBA player. Yeah, I, I, my faith in that is not very high. I think the social media will be horrible regarding him. That said, I do think he probably has an advantage in this case of not being from the U.S., maybe not being as uh, into U.S. social media culture as much. You know what I mean? The language differences there may, that, may benefit him, where it's a little bit... Um, it's at least one one step removed where if you're a kid, you know, born in the U.S. and you grow up on TikTok or you grow up on social media, very hard to avoid that if that's been your whole life. You know, uh, I was told this early, and this was pre-social media, but when I came into the NBA, if you don't let the praise define you, you won't allow the criticism to diminish you. And I think that is incredibly was incredibly valuable to me. Um, and I find it really challenging for 
young people on social media. I read every year where players, uh, Jason Tatum is the most recent one, who says, I get off of Twitter in the playoffs so I don't have to listen to the noise. And and I think it does have a, a, a truly negative impact on players, on how they feel about themselves, on like w- their team, what they need to do better. And, and so I think it's smart of players. But my question remains, if it's better in the playoffs to do, why do you do it at other times? Because it's not like it's a bastion of positivity. Like, and I think what people do is they look for the good stuff that's said about them as validation. Unfortunately, in, that, in those positive comments, there's probably many, many negative comments that, you know, wear on them. And, and I just think as an athlete, you know, you just have to think to yourself, like, if I, I'm willing to do this in the playoffs, what value does it bring to my life? Why should I be on it the other, you know, nine, 10 months of the year? I, I don't have a, I, I've never been given a great reason why it helps. Yeah, I mean, my my only thought here, and again, you have you have kids who are under twenty five. It's just it's very hard, I think, for people of that generation to get off when every when all their friends around them are on it. And so, I think it would take this is just my take. It would take a big discipline to be able to turn it off for nine months, where maybe you can sort of turn it off for two months or eight weeks, and the discipline's a little better. Also, there's commercialization. You know, the, the, these guys can make money on pushing their Oh, that's true. Brand yeah, the money part. Yeah. If, if, or if, just, like, if you want to be in, like, media, like, there's value for, like, Draymond. I'll just use Draymond Green, for example. Like, you want people to know that I have this podcast out. And if you have 2 million people following you on a social media platform, that's an incredible distribution. But I, 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 <laughs> I cannot I, – I imagine you agree with me on this. Both of us did not grow up. We were not young when this stuff existed. I cannot be more thankful that when I was 15, 14, 16 years old, none of this stuff was around. I, 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 thank, I thank technology gods every day that I didn't have to deal with what a 16-year-old person has to deal with today. I, I agree. Just And we were talking – I was talking athletes, but it, you could just be talking, you know, any child walking the streets of – you know, Toronto or Houston, where I live, like, it's hard. It's a much harder existence and a much more uh, critical. It's it's every, like, and that's why I understand the money that can be made. And like you said, Draymond Green or, you know, J.J. Redick is, you know, all over the place with, you know, he has, like, different platforms. I get it when it's doing something good for you. I just, the, the, vitriol of comments and the, and the negativity i tell you like i don't know if, if this happens with you but i used to always say this in new york when the coverage was you know up and down all right if if a bad article was written about me like they're gonna fire me if i don't do x y and z right if i read it i don't need it to just dis- you to bring it to me to discuss it further if i haven't seen it and I've stayed away from it, and then you bring it to me, my question is why? Why would you bring it? And that's what I think even with the social media 
even if you try to get away from it, if you're an NBA player, someone in your group is going to say something like, can you believe what so-and-so said? I mean, that in itself puts doubt in your mind. And that's why I think who you surround yourself with um, is even more critical in this social media time because you can totally see why adults get bogged down in the negativity of social media. Can you just imagine the pressure that, like, the negativity would bring to a, a, a young person who's, you know, brain is just forming. I, I, I agree with you. It, it's rough. I'm with it. Yeah. No, I, I'm a native New Yorker. So I lived in New York during your time coaching the Knicks and uh, purchased the daily news in the New York post. Th- that would not do anything for your psyche to be reading those pages every day. Cause th- th- even like, let's say even if you were on a run, it's not like there's going to be 20, like Van Gundy's a genius, uh, Columns, maybe one, but then when things are going bad, that's multiple columns there. So yeah, your PR people should handle that, not not you. The best thing I ever did as far as that, Richard, was the really bad back pages. I cut out and framed and put them on my wall because that keeps your humility. Like when it says Van Gandhi, you know, like they're making, you know, uh, back up the van, you know, it's time to move on, you know, like. All those van, van, the, for the New York Post, the van part was money. Van Grumpy, yeah, Van Gone. You could do anything with yeah, it. Yeah, you really could. And they did. And they, you know, but that really was like when you would walk, I could walk into my office every day and see the back pages hung up because it was so, you know, like I said, it was humbling. And you have to like try to make light of it because it, you know, and this is like right now in broadcasting, it, I, I've had people I've worked with that are on social media that really get down about, you know, what Joe fan says on Twitter. And like, it's something I think it's called mentions. I might be on this, like, and they go in after games, like what fans say about them. And it really bums them out. And I just, I just don't get it. Like if you're going on there for validation, you think somebody's actually going to say, Hey, great job, uh, ESPN. I really enjoyed listening to Broadcaster X. Like, I'm sure that just doesn't happen very often. Occasionally, but the algorithm is set, honestly, to sort of to, to promote and almost incite negativity. So you're absolutely right. Uh, here's the last thing I, I'll, uh, I want to ask you, and then I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, you've always been somebody who's been, um, like myself, a women's basketball viewer and fan. Um, you saw in your, um, at your company, uh, LSU, uh, their win over Iowa drew nearly 10 million viewers, which is, was an incredible number for women's college basketball. The last week we just saw Brittany Griner's, um, regular season debut that set a record for ESPN for the most watched opening, um, week WNBA game as someone, Jeff, who like has sort of watched this evolution to me. The WNBA has never been in a better position where it's terms of like athleticism, skill level, stardom. We got a couple super teams in the Aces and the Liberty, just in terms of like the former MVPs there. It feels like to me, particularly in basketball, like um, women's basketball is at a place like it feels like a bit of a rocket ship. I don't know where the rocket ship's going to land, but it's only going up. And again, as someone who's watched the game and I know appreciate it, appreciate it. I just wanted to get your sense because at least when I watch the WNBA, the skill level's never been higher. It's a great league to watch. Oh, it's jumped dramatically. The skill level 
the athleticism, the coaching, all of it has been uh, dramatically improved in the last decade. And you watch college, like you were mentioned before, that I think it's, it's, you know, going down levels to where the college game, uh, some, you know, you take it 25 years ago, watching some, some games, you could be a fan, but you weren't seeing, you know, great basketball all the time. You turn on a WNBA game or a high major college game right now, and it's big time basketball, big time athletes. And, and, the, uh, and the intensity that it's played with is very good too. The WNBA standpoint, the amount of rest that they get between games or the, the games that are played, I think allows that too. I also wonder all the time, would it be better? Is it better that the WNBA is competed in the summer months or would it be better served to be a winter into spring? Uh, and, or would the NBA playoffs, uh, you know, NFL, that's the, yeah, it, like, you know, you get swallowed in that. Yeah. Way. Would they swallow them? I, I don't know, but I know that the game uh, and the players are at an incredible level. Some of the things that they can now do with the ball, uh, I, I just, I'm mesmerized when I watch and it's so much better. Uh, the growth has been phenomenal, but the, the game has improved. So that's why, I t to me, that people want to watch more. It's just outstanding competition. Do you think, you know, I know there's been, I think you've done this a couple of times, but uh, is there anything on your schedule uh, this year where you might do a game as an analyst? Because I think you've done, you did, I know you've done at least one or two that I remember watching you, I think. I, I've never done a WNBA game. I did uh, back in the, in the lockout, one of the lockout years, I did a, a Connecticut at Baylor women's that, game. Awesome. Yeah. That was it. Awesome. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, so good. And frankly, a, a few years ago, uh, like, they were talking about doing more. But the coverage is so good. And, like, Ryan Rucco, Rebecca Lowe. I mean, uh, Lobo. Re yeah. Rebecca Lowe. I just screwed up my names. Holly Rowe and Rebecca Lobo. Like, they do such a phenomenal job with it. As I mean, and they are invested in it. Like, they're... Like, that's what I love when you turn into a game. And I work with Ryan some on NBA games. And the way he talks about it on air is very similar to how he talks about it off air. I mean, he is absolutely fired up. Uh, yeah. They've helped th those three, but obviously, particular Holly and Rebecca. Um, you know, you put Pam Ward in there, Doris Burke, before obviously she moved uh, to the NBA. They really have helped grow the game. Yes. Not, they're just not broadcasters. They, they've been almost like apostles of the game. Which you need, you know, and I, again, the coverage there is going to be a little bit different in that um, it's going to be more celebrating the game at all times yeah. and celebrating the players and, you know, being one with them because – Without that, that level of enthusiasm that's out there for the WNBA right now would not be possible. So I agree with you. I think – and I, I think you're the one that mentioned it um, or the first one I read mentioned it about moving the championship to prime time. Yeah, you're uh, – Jeff, it, 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 you know, I, 
I, I have given your bosses this suggestion for a while. They finally took it and I rewarded them with millions of dollars. Yeah, no. So like you're welcome. But, yeah, exactly. But sometimes you just, it's amazing. You should just do it because that's what's best for the sport, for the sport overall, like to give opportunity. Yeah. And so I hope the WNBA, and, and this is what I think is the next frontier. And I, I wish it was at a, like not in the fall. It's just, there's the finals when they play the playoffs, it's sort of just, no matter when you place it right now in, in, in the year, there are problematic things. College football, yeah. Major League Baseball at its court. The, the problem for the WNBA, and there's no solution, honestly, is the final, there's so much going on around the WNBA finals that it presents programming and scheduling issues for, for ESPN. And there's not a solution. There's not a great solution around it. I always wondered if July, if they played it as like um, after the NFL, all the way, and their finals were... The summer. In the summer. If that would not be better, I don't know if that's feasible from facilities and all that sort of standpoint. I have no idea. But I just... I just don't like that their season, it, and it always is seemingly getting interrupted by a World Cup or a, um, you know, next year will be the Olympics. And then, you know, it's just, I think sometimes I, it would be better as like a spring ending in the summer, but that's just me speculation. No, I know what you're saying. And then it gets into the salaries. You know, there's a reason why the players play abroad because they can make more money as they, um, and they, they only have a short window, like all athletes. Uh, I, I, the good news is it's heading in the right direction. It's not perfect, but it's on an upward trend. A lot of money is being invested in it, and that's really, obviously, that's really where it's the, the road, you know, the rubber meets the road. And so um, I'm glad to just at least talk to you about it a little bit because I know that you 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 were a prominent NBA coach who talked about women's basketball. That wasn't always the case. It's much more common now, though. And that's a good thing. It is a good I, thing. I, I, and Toronto's got to get a team. You guys just I didn't know. you just have a great attendance at a sold out, sold out in in minutes. Uh, and the um, the crowd of nineteen thousand plus was how do I? I've never seen more girls under the age of eighteen at a Toronto pro event than I did for that. X by the way. Key, mo- key word, exhibition game right? in Toronto. It wasn't a regular season game. Like People went to see the Sky and the Lynx play an exhibition game in Toronto. And I think even the WME commissioner, I think, was honestly a little bit taken aback by like, wow, like this is a maybe a better market uh, than I thought. And you know this, Jeff, just from traveling. Like If they can figure out the customs and private air, air part, then they can do it. It's the... If you fly commercial, it gets a little tough for. It's like a competitive disadvantage, right? If you're, if you got to go through airports yeah. and all that but, stuff. But if, if Toronto gets a, a team, they'll be milking that. They'll have the uh, border patrol agents, like we always thought. Change, like even when you would come in there, like in back to back, we were convinced sometimes that the border patrol agents were in on it because you know it took forever. Like some nights, and it was like. You know, we came through there in the playoffs like a couple years when I was coaching the Knicks. And I swear to you, it they must have inspected every bag like 10 times. And 
That's what you got to do. You got to get everybody involved from border patrol agents on to set the home court advantage. They're like, Mr. Van Gundy, you have a parking ticket from 1986. We can't, we can't, we can't allow you to. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's what they should have done. I'm sorry. Hey, Ewing, you're not allowed in. I'm not sure why, but you're just not allowed in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All right. The NBA finals start uh, June 1st. Uh, Nuggets versus somebody. Jeff Van Gundy will be on the air, of course, with Mike Breen and Mark Jackson. That's on ABC. Uh, you can catch Jeff uh, throughout the finals. Uh, and then, obviously, next starts Jeff it's always great to catch up with you I wish you nothing but the the best of success uh, travel safe get to the airport uh, please four hours early if you have anywhere to go I know you and Stan it's important to you and Stan and uh, thanks for joining me today on the sports media podcast you got it take care Richard bye all right back in the studio my thanks to Jeff Van Gundy that was uh, was great I really appreciate his time um, if you like this kind of podcast head to the archives um, had a couple this week actually or last week I should say uh, post LeBron James content universe. What does that mean with Sam Amick? WNBA's record viewership start with LaChina Robinson. Had uh, Rolling Stone chief critic Alan Sepinwall on uh, how he does his amazing succession um, reviews, as well as a uh, discussion on that show in the Star Wars universe. Endeavor president CEO Mark Shapiro. Peter King was on this podcast to talk about the NFL schedule. Daniel Jeremiah talking about what it's like to cover the NFL draft. Uh, there should be things in there that you appreciate. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks everybody at the Canes 13 Odyssey for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Sports Media Podcast.